Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. I want to do something before we start. <clears throat> this came from uh, a word from somebody on the prayer team as I asked them to to uh, pray around this, this new series that we're starting this morning and this, just the talk this morning. But let's do this. I just want to go into a time of prayer before we go into the scriptures. And the reason we're going to do that is, is we're going to, it's just going to be an invitation to set everything aside so that we can hear what the Lord has to say to us. Amen? Because that's what we want. We want to hear what God has to say to us. And we're going to open the scriptures and we're going to kind of dig deep into 1 John. <clears throat> before we do that, we want to just take the things in our life or the busyness or the things that we're thinking about or, or the plans we're already actively making right now, we're going to set those aside or the worries or the concerns or the anxiety that we're carrying around with us because we all have those things. Actually, I don't know why there's not like 20 people in front of every person on the prayer team every Sunday and that's, uh, we need to get over that um, and get our, out of our seats and move and just be blessed by them, but that's that's work we need to do. But let's do that. Let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Would you join me? Just take everything in your lap right now and just put it on, put it down, unless it's a baby that you're holding. Um, and, and let's just come before the Lord and just ask him to speak to us and, and to take our burdens from us. And, and we're just going to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Father, we just come before you right now as we Step into your word, into the scriptures that you've given us. Um, we ask not only that you speak to us, but we ask that you would take from us the burdens that we carry. Um, whatever it is, the relationship struggles that we have, the week that was hard, the interactions that were hard, the job day that was challenging, or school, or whatever it is that we had that was that's getting in the way. Lord, we just set it at your feet right now. We trust you with it. Even the sin in our life that we need to repent of, Lord, we, we can freely do that now because of the work of Christ on the cross. We don't have to carry that burden anymore, and we're not supposed to. You said it's yours, and you happily take it on. So just right now, on your own, just whatever it is that you need to sit down, go ahead and do that. Just have a conversation with the Lord. Father, you tell us that um, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we take that on this morning. That's what we want. We want your yoke, your teaching. We want your burden, not the burden we've carried into this space. So we set it down and we proclaim freedom in Jesus' name and forgiveness in the name of Christ. And because of, of the work of Christ on the cross, we say amen. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right, open up your Bibles and go all the way to the right. And then back a couple. Uh, that's where First John is. We are going to spend essentially the year in First John. Um, and this came, uh, I was sitting on, on a retreat day uh, sometime this summer and I was planning for the fall. And I got out um, a, uh, a dry erase marker and I've, one of my favorite places to go is, is a retreat center at Lial. It's a Catholic retreat center. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'll go there on Fridays and I'll take my Bible and my journal 
and, <clears throat> and I'll just spend time with the Lord and pray and ask God, what is it you want uh, to see happen at your church with your people? And one of the coolest things ever that I learned, I go in this, there's this little reflection room that I sit in. And in the reflection room, uh, it's just windows. And it's just like this, this, this room that jets out and there's windows on three of, of the four walls. And literally you can see this pond they have and, and you can see, you know, wildlife walking by and usually there's nobody there. And, and so it's just me and the Lord and, and whatever else is going on. And uh, one of the coolest things ever is I've learned... <clears throat> That with my uh, dry erase uh, marker that I bring with me, that I just write on the windows, my notes. And, uh, and it's really fun. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't be happy if they caught me doing that, but I always erase it when I'm done so it looks just fine. But I started to work on First John, and the plan was to, to talk about First John from September, uh, the first Sunday in September, through uh, up to kind of the Christmas time where we do an Advent Reflection. And, and I got, I, I started to go through John, and I was just looking at it, and I, I was, as I was going through it, I felt like the Lord was showing me things and highlighting things, and I was like, well, this is something we could talk about, and this is something we could talk about. And all of a sudden, we blew through December, and we were like into May. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we're doing this. <clears throat> so that's what we're doing. Uh, we will be looking at John from, from this morning all the way till May, uh, First John. And uh, just slowly, slowly working our way through. And it might change as we go. We might add something or take something away or whatever it is. But that's kind of what we're doing. So kind of buckle up, get ready to go. Also, we started writing the Daily Quiet Time material again. And, and that is available. Um, I would encourage you to be spending time every day with the Lord. Whatever you do, if that works for you, keep doing it. That's great. If you don't have something that you're doing, uh, we write the material. It's all connected to... The, what we preach on on Sunday, and it takes you back through some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, things that I'm going to talk about. And so if you want that, it's yours. We print hard copies, or we can email it to you. It comes uh, every morning. Just a reflection. It won't take long, but it's got a prayer. It's got scripture that you'll read, questions that you'll ask yourself and reflect on. It's just good. We need to be spending time with, with God every day. Um, that's a good thing. All right. Uh, let me read to you from First John. We're just going to cover the first four verses this morning. Maybe, we'll see. Uh, so First John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. <clears throat> what I want to do is, I, I want to, this morning I want to kind of lay a foundation of what first, what's going on when John writes 1 John. And there's actually really fascinating scholarship that is shifting and changing within the last decade, which is super new. Um, if you know anything about theology and history of theology, if it's not 100 years old, then it's, then it's not, like 100 years old is new theology um, in, the, in the grand scheme of things from when the church was birthed till now, as, as far as academia is concerned. But there's, there's new things about John specifically, and I was reading through commentaries when I was uh, on the flight out to uh, L.A. To, to drop Grace off at school, and it, it was like 
mind-blowing. I was like, wait a minute. It was, it was different than any, everything I'd been taught in, in college and then also in seminary. And so I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around it and trying to make sense of it. But um, the, the person who wrote John, 1 John, and 2nd and 3rd John, and is the same as the author of the Gospel of John. And most likely the author of, of the book of Revelation. Same person. And actually what's really fascinating is the Gospel of John and 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, which we call epistles, um, the writing and the linguistics and the style is closer than any other book in the scriptures. So not, not even Paul's writings are as similar as John's writings are, if that makes sense. Okay? So it, it's, it's pretty renownedly understood that it's the same author, all that to say. And during the time that John is writing to these churches, these series of churches in Asia Minor area, there, let me give you just kind of a, a brief timeline, is, is, and this was helpful for me, I read through this in, in the commentary. The first era we, we consider was the, with the life of Jesus, right? So uh, when, when he was born to 33 years, and in that time we had no writings at all. There's there no gospels, no Paul hadn't written yet. He hadn't encountered the resurrected Christ yet. We, there was no New Testament. It didn't exist. Okay? And, and then, so that's the first era. And the second era we have from, from when Jesus resurrected to about 60, 65. And in that time period, we have a lot of Paul's writings. And he's writing to churches to try and educate them and help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We also have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, most likely, are written in that time period. Uh, Mark for sure. Mark was the, the first gospel that was written. Um, and then we have most of Paul's writing. So, so that second, but in that era, persecution begins against the church. And the church begins to suffer, but as it suffers, it grows. Because that seems to be how things work. And, and in that era, the church is beginning to, to really solidify itself, and it becomes this powerhouse, and it begins to dominate the world as a whole. And then we have the era after that, which is probably about 65 to 100 or so. And this era, things begin to, to really shift because things settle in as the church begins to settle in. We now have most of the, of the writings that we're aware of. This is where John sits down and begins to write. But in this period, persecution is at its apex by the Roman Empire. So Christians are dying constantly for their faith. So you can't follow Jesus and not have it be risk of, of losing your life in this time period. It was a known fact. And actually it was the greatest honor to be able to give your life for Christ, for followers of Jesus. That's what they felt like. The greatest honor in the world was to be able to die um, for your faith. As all the, the disciples did aside from John um, through persecution. Also in this era were, were these heresies that began to creep into the church. These different views of, of primarily around who Jesus was. That was the big argument around the, um, in the church in that era, in that time, and arguably probably still is, was what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with this person? All these other things, you know, the, the things from the Old Testament, they, they would talk about them and go back and forth with them, or they'd, they'd argue back and forth with who is God and the nature of God, yes. But really at the apex of everything, the difference between Christianity and everything else was how do you see Jesus? How do you view Christ? 
So I'll give you some examples um, during this time period. So this is the period through which John is writing into. And even within the churches that John is writing to, there are people in those churches that are propagating what the church would later call heresy, different views of who Jesus was. And they're within, they're embedded in that church, and they're talking about these things, and they're wrestling with those things. And, and, and a lot of this stuff was influenced by Greek philosophy that had worked its way into the church itself. I'll give you some examples. And some of these things you probably have heard, um, some of you maybe, maybe not. The first and probably most well-known is called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed in a superior knowledge of spiritual matters. They believed that the material world was entirely evil. There was nothing good or valuable in it at all. And that salvation came through discovering the secrets of the universe. Okay, the next is Doceticism. And Doceticism believed that Jesus was um, in human form and a mere semblance without any true reality. That the person of Jesus somehow was like, uh, looked like a human being. I mean, this is, I don't know how to put this, but I'm thinking like, um, you know, force ghosts in Star Wars. You know, like a, appear to you, have these amazing powers, can appear and disappear. But essentially what they believed was that Jesus was divine but not human. Okay? And so the humanity was just a, a, a figment of your imagination. It wasn't reality. But the, the divine was so real, it seemed like you could touch it and feel it, but really you couldn't because it wasn't human. At all. So Jesus wasn't human. He was only divine. And, th and then later on, you, you have Serinthianism that believed that Jesus was a human being, but he wasn't constant, he wasn't all the time God. He was born as a human was born. And then at his baptism, the divine presence came upon Jesus. And then uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that divine presence left Jesus because surely can't, God cannot be born and God cannot die. So they're trying to make sense of those things, but they're trying to make sense of it in light of their understanding of the Greek gods and the system the Greeks believed. Does that make sense? Okay. I, I would say most of those things um, aren't dominantly around today in the way that we know them, but they're still present. I sat here this morning, and, and I was here last night late, and... and um, and just kind of praying through the message and talking through it. And there's just a sense of like, there's something else I'm supposed to talk about and say. And I got this morning and, and, and I felt like the Lord began to show me these things. And, and so I have these other things I was going to say. And those are really good things. But I'm not going to say those things because I don't have time to say all those things. But I sat there and I began to realize. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, these things are still present and they're still a problem. These differing views of Jesus. I'll give you some examples. Because at first I was like, hey, is this really relevant? Do we really need to know these things, Lord? Is this, and, and I felt like the Lord was like, yes, we do. Because here's what happens. This is what the enemy does so beautifully. He changes just a little bit of something, and it no longer holds truth anymore. And he does that in our life. In, in many different ways, but when it comes to Jesus, it is absolutely essential that we get this one right. And this is why John is writing to these churches, and this is what he does throughout First John as he goes through and he explains in these different nuances why that Jesus was who he was and why it's so important and so vital that we get that and that we understand that because it affects how we live our lives and our theology affects how we think and how we see and what we do and how we act. And so it's important. 
We don't have to have it exactly perfectly right, and none of us will. And God, I believe, still continues to show us new things about himself. And so there's new revelation that comes and a new understanding that's present and we're invited into. However, we need to have those basic understandings. So let me give you some examples of this. Every religion would say that Jesus is a wise teacher. Every single one of them. Everyone would say that he taught the things of God. Many would say that he was an enlightened person. All true. But listen listen to these nuances. Islam would say that he's a prophet. And here's what what is mind-blowing. After I get through a lot of these, you'd say, yeah, that's true. Jesus was a prophet, right? And, And what I see, what I notice in these other religions is they come close, but they don't go all the way. It's like they step right up to the line, and they're like, this is true of Jesus. We believe this is true of Jesus, but they don't step over into the most crucial truths of who God was as revealed in Jesus Christ. Mormonism believes he was a literal literal son of God, but they reject the Trinity. Buddhism believed he was like Buddha, an enlightened man, but he also lived previous lives. Hinduism believed that Jesus was just another God among the other gods. So they believe that he was God, but they also believe in all these other gods. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being. And New Age movement refuses to acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. This is all stuff I wrote down this morning as I came in. These are not typed out in my notes. And it's important, this is all around us. And this infiltrates things at an even greater level than we realize into our mindsets, into our realities. I mean, we're learning these things. Our kids are learning these things in classrooms. You, and, it, and it's not bad to learn these things. We need to have an understanding of what other people think and believe. That's, that's not the problem. The problem is when that begins to infiltrate our own understanding of who Jesus is. That's when it becomes problematic. And so John is literally writing to the church to let them know, hey, this is the most important way. We need to see Jesus. And it's absolutely crucial <clears throat> that we have that understanding. This is what he says. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John is telling us that he's had this personal, intimate encounter with the living God. Literally, John was probably anywhere from 13 to 15 years old when he started to walk with Jesus, which is incredible. He was the youngest of all of the disciples that followed around, that followed in that group of people. And Jesus had this intimate, cherished love for John, it talks about. He calls him the the disciple that he loved. And there was a connection between Jesus and John that that was different from each of the the disciples. And I'm sure John, Jesus had a a unique relationship with each of them, but he, he pulled four aside and he had this deeper walk with them, it seemed like. He invited them into these sacred spaces where he didn't invite anybody else to, right? And, and the transfiguration would be an example of that. But John lived on. And Jesus even says of John that he will remain until he comes back in, in a form, which is, again, a mystery and hard to understand. But church history actually says of John that the, that the, the empire tried to kill him multiple times but couldn't. Church history says that they, they boiled John alive, but he didn't die. And they tried so many times to kill him, and they were finally fed up with it, so they put him on an island and just said, 
we'll leave him there so he can't do any harm. And then at that place, he begins to write these profound things. The Gospel of John was most likely written there. And the book of Revelation may or may not have been written there. And the Lord showed John these intimate things. But John says, I was there. I touched him. I saw him. I experienced him. And he uses all these different Greek words, and I won't go into it, but, but he says, you know, that, that he saw him, and then he says, I perceived him. And it's a different way. There's, there's, we can see things, but then when we perceive things, it's like a deeper knowing and understanding of things. Because th then you have different examples in the scriptures. One of the scripture passages, and I wrote it down, but I, I cut it out earlier, I think. No, it's, it's Matthew 28, 17. Where this is after uh, Jesus raises from the dead, and he's, he's with people for an extended period of time. And then he ascends to be the Father, and it says in, this, in the scriptures, it says, some worshipped him and some doubted. They saw him, and they still struggled. They didn't believe. But there was a different seeing that John had that, that transformed his life. And so John writes for primarily three reasons, and there's probably more, but I think it's, it's to keep it to that in, in, in what we're going to look at. Number one, he's writing to give the church what is, is called a, an accurate or correct or healthy Christology, which is, the, which is the fancy theological word for the study of who Jesus is. And so he wants the church to have a healthy Christology. Why? Because it matters. <clears throat> Number two, he's writing to them because that healthy theology that they are to take in should bind them and cause fellowship within their gatherings. It shouldn't divide them. And number three, he's writing to tell the church that in the intimate way that John perceived and experienced and touched and beheld and heard who Jesus was, that that church can do the same thing and experience Jesus Christ on that kind of level. That means it's true for us as well. Those are the three reasons why John writes to the church that stand out the most to me. And so he gives this description of this firsthand experience, and, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever thought about going someplace and, and you know, where you're thinking about, well, we want to take a trip here or go on vacation there, and, and so what does anybody begin to do? They, they get on Google and, and type it out, wherever it is you're going. <clears throat> and do research and, and do reading and try and figure out what it's going to look like. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Or you've, if you've gone, okay. But have you ever had that experience where you're, you're planning a trip and so you're, you're doing all this research and reading, and then, but all of a sudden somehow you run into somebody who's been there before. And you're like, whoa, we need to sit down and have a conversation. Because they're like... Yeah, those four things you're going to do, don't do them. They're a waste of time. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. Um, but to talk to somebody who has been someplace that you've never been before is a whole other ballgame. And you're furious taking notes. And, and, and to, to talk to somebody who's been someplace that you can trust radically changes the direction that you're going to head in. And what John is saying to the, the churches, he's, he's saying to them, I've been there. I know what it looks like. I've seen it firsthand. <clears throat> I was there when the lame guy got up and walked. I was there when the blind man saw. I was there when people were set free from demonic oppression. I was there at the foot of the cross when everybody else left. 
And it was just Mary and I. And he spoke to me and he said, take care of my mom. I was there. I was there when he came back. Actually beat Peter to the tomb. Saw that he wasn't there. And then he appeared to us and he showed us his hands and his feet and his side. I was there. If somebody like that walked into the room, I think we'd all be quiet and we'd listen to what Jesus was like, wouldn't we? This is essentially what John is doing when he writes these words. He's saying, I was there. And he's trying in so many different ways to communicate, I was there. Listen to what I have to say, because it's worthwhile. When John writes, one of the commentaries pointed this out, and I, I thought it was beautiful. He said, John doesn't write to argue anything. He doesn't write to try and convince people of anything. He doesn't write to say that, that all these other people are, are wrong or kick them out. He's writing in this pastoral word, in this pastoral manner, saying, guys, I've been there before. This is what truth looks like. Trust me. And he's not even telling the, the, the churches in Asia Minor to kick those people out who are saying those other things. He's saying, no, no, no. Here's this truth, and this truth will transcend all other supposed truths. And we need to take that in and believe that because it's worthwhile. And then he goes on to say, essentially, you can experience in the way that I've experienced, you can too. Listen to what Paul says and John says in other places as to what the scriptures say about our encounter of Jesus. Paul writes this to the church of, of Colossae in Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the glorious riches of the mystery? Is Christ in you the hope of glory. John says in the Gospel of John 15, he talks about, he records Jesus talking, and Jesus says, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And, and if you make that connection and keep that connection, everything that you do will flow from that place. And together we'll partner and we'll do what I want us to do. We'll advance the kingdom of God, and, and I will be revealed in this world. And then, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 14. He says, Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. What I want to share with you today, church, is these aren't metaphors. What he's saying is true. And it's a reality that can happen and is supposed to be happening in us. We can experience Jesus to the extent and in the similar way that John experienced Jesus. We have that access. It's made available to us. And if you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He goes on to say in verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That same expression of life that he talks about. It's just, which is the source of life that holds all things together. This life appeared to John and many others, and he experienced it perfectly. John is sharing his understanding of, of who Jesus is so that it would unite the people together. Because truth should be something that unites us and brings us together and bonds us as one. He uses this word fellowship in Greek, it's koinonia. Koinonia is a technical term in Roman society. This is really fascinating. It means this. It's a legally binding association of equal partners based on their mutual assent to a common purpose. 
So when we come around the truth of who Jesus is, it binds us together as a community. And John understood that, and he saw it. He saw it take place. He also saw that, that, that heresy or the false doctrines of who Jesus was tore things apart and separated things. And he said, no, 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 the purpose of this truth is to bind us together, to bring us together and to unify us. So the world would see that we're one, just as Jesus said that we should be one. Also, when he talks about that in John 17. And so, if our theology of Jesus divides us, I would say it's an unhealthy theology. And there's aspects of the theology of who Jesus is, and as we deepen and we learn that at various times over the century was divisive, and actually, at, at different times, the church would, would um, label people or kick people out because, and, and this is, I don't know how to say this without being misunderstood, but it's just, it's good to say. Throughout time and history, the Lord has revealed himself to people. And those people have tried to communicate a deeper image of God of what God looks like. And when that would happen, the church wouldn't be able to handle it or hold it because they weren't ready for it. And so they would, they would put that person away or they'd excommunicate that person, and there's, there's tons of examples of it. But if you study church history, you begin to see it usually takes about 100 years for the church to come around and realize that what that person had to say about who God was is actually true. So we need to, we need to just be aware of that. Most of us aren't functioning at that level, so it's not, we're not going to have to worry about that, although we can ask God for that revelation. But we also need to be careful to not quickly judge or push away or do the same thing the church did wrongly. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I, w- I was at a conference. Ann and I were at a conference. Actually, we, Ann, 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 and Ann and I, um, Ann Bernice was there with us, and, and the woman did a beautiful job of explaining. She basically said, she drew this timeline as this line, and she said, you know, the average person you know, if the timeline is this big, the average person moves about this much in their theology, and their understanding. She said, every once in a while, somebody comes along and does this and leaps over all of us. But it's, it's to an extent that we're like, whoa, we don't know what to do with it. And so because of that, our, our natural instinct as human beings, and this is not just with the, theology, we do this with almost anything. If we don't know what to do with it, we, we keep it at arm's distance because it takes us, it frightens us. And it's because it, it's an invitation to a deeper understanding. And, and a lot of times we're like, whoa, I don't know about that. So it's important for us to have a firm and, and understanding. Because a, lo- a lot of this understanding echoes what's in the scriptures already. Because it's, it's from the Lord. And so those things are going to mesh. And, and that's how we know it's truth. But it, sometimes it takes society a longer time to come around and have that understanding of truth. So we need to be be. Careful how quickly we judge things when it comes to those things. But John is saying to us that this understanding of who Jesus is should bring us together and unite us and bond us almost in a legal bounds like the Romans viewed that. And that that's a good thing. And then finally he says to this in verse 4, he says, We write this to make our joy complete. That through our understanding, through community, through connection and the truth of who Jesus is will bring joy out of us. Not, it's a mutual joy. Because he says it in the Gospel of John 15, 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So as we have an understanding of who, who Jesus is, the proper understanding 
of who Jesus is, it will bring joy in our souls because it will carry us. And that healthy theology will carry us not only as, as it unifies us as a church community, but it will also carry us through, it, through the dailiness of our lives. You know the truth of who Jesus is, it helps you get up out of bed in the morning. It carries the truth, that truth carries you through the day when the hardships come. And you can look back on that truth and hold to it, because it will hold you. And then as we move forward, we keep coming back to that as the basis, because it's who we are. If we don't have the truth of who Jesus is, we're not Christians. We're just a group of people that are coming together, and that's nice. But that's like, we're no different than any other group, and really no different than any other religion. And so this is why John is writing, and this is why we're going to take time to go through this slowly and methodically so that we can do those, we can live out those two things. We can have a healthy theology that can bind us together as, as one, but also that we can have that understanding of what John says is true of how he experienced Jesus. We also can experience Jesus. That invitation is for us as well. It's not just for then, it's for now as well. And that's the beauty of the walk of a follower of Jesus. So we get to step into those truths and live those truths out. But we keep coming back to God's word to use as a platform, to use as an understanding, to use as, as a baseline of God's truth as we live out our daily lives. What I want to do right now is I want to just spend some time in prayer. And I want to ask God to, to teach us, to show us, to reveal to us these truths. And as we study as, as a community, as we make our way through 1 John, that, that Lord would that highlight new things, the Holy Spirit would, would reveal new things to us, and those things would bind us together. They'd draw us to one another, and, and they would bring and create and foster fellowship and community as we study the scriptures. Okay, would you join me in prayer? And I'd ask that you pray along as I pray too. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you put on the hearts of people as they sat down to write, and they were guided by the, the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. And we have what we have today because of these faithful people. And we say thank you for that. But above all, Lord, we thank you that you would be willing to step out of your throne and to come be like us, to be born into this world, to live life, to suffer and to die, and to give your life and to shed the blood that you shed so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Oh, the mystery that God could come in as a human and also die is, is beyond us, but we are grateful for that truth. Father, I pray as we study together through this journey of 1 John that our eyes would be open and that we would begin to touch and see and hear and experience Jesus in new ways like we've never experienced before. That those expressions, those experiences would draw us closer to yourself and take us into deeper understandings of who you are, Lord. Lord, I pray that our community and our fellowship would deepen through this process, through this journey together. That as we learn new things, we share these new things with one another, we would encourage one another and build faith with one another. 
And Lord, may you reveal things that we've never seen before. Father, would you draw us to yourself? We would, we would have hearts that would be so full and encouraged by our time spent with you. Lord, I pray each and every person in this room would, would have a burden on their heart to hang out with you in the quiet places. That they would open your word and speak to you in prayer. And, and you'd begin to speak to, to them as individuals in ways you've never spoken to them before. Father, I ask that, that your presence would be known. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.